Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your host, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon, And I'm Father Travis Crotty. Good to be back in Sioux City, Father. Likewise. I'm going to shut this fan off so it doesn't make weird noise. Okay. It's a little loud. We're getting blown away here. We're getting blown away in many ways. We are recording this in the midst of this Arctic blast that is coming down and sweeping across the Midwest, causing blizzards and strong gusty winds, blowing snow everywhere, all over the Midwest. Tonight is supposed to be a wind chill factor of negative 50 degrees. Ooh. That's wild. Bundle up. Negative 50? Are you kidding me? I realized how soft I became... In St. Louis? Missouri. Well, yeah. yeah, I was in Missouri for eight years with that break in Denver, but then Denver's weather, too, it'll dump a bunch of snow, but then get really warm. Right. And Missouri is just kind of like a softer version of Iowa when it comes to the weather. Right. It's kind of cold, but not super cold. No, there is a difference. The last two winters I was back in Iowa weren't terrible. Mm-hmm. And then last week was like 10 degrees, and then bam. Right. Ooh. But here we are. Yeah, it's going to be a cold one. It will be. And I don't know, so... Have you lived in a home with a radi with radiator heat? Oh yes. for a while. Yes, I have. <laughs> so my 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 room at the cathedral rectory it, it has like two options. It's like you can just barely open the radiator and it's like boiling lava hot. Uh huh. You shut it off. It's like ice cold. Right. So there's not a lot of options right. to work with. And if you crack the window, it's like below zero right now. So it's it's kind of risky. Did you ever have, we had these in seminary, like you could like these little ceramic dishes that you would hang from the radiator that you'd fill with water. Oh. So that it would almost kind of steam your room. It's kind of nice. Like well, a you, well, you needed it. Otherwise you were just like. So, so, so you, hot. Yeah. You woke up like a raisin every morning just because like your eyes were sealed you shut. Got, yeah, and, you got you know, Yeah. Because of the radiant Once heat. Once in college seminary at Conception, we had radiators. Uh, and when there's air in the lines, they knock, right? Mm-hmm. Or like there's weird oh, yes. stuff going on. A guy woke up, he had never experienced radiator heat before, and he thought his room was possessed by demons. It's the end times. So he was he was banging on the radiator with a hammer to try to get it to stop knocking. Yeah, he probably didn't understand the floaters that are in the, the exactly. pipes with the water levels. Yeah. About radiator heat. Speaking of the winter wonderland that we're currently living winter in, wonderland. I got to experience uh, something along the theme of, you know, kind of this winter um, time, Yuletide, if you will, in the Keelan Madrigal. Like concert. Christmas. I've never, I'd never been. You've never been to Madrigal. Oh, I experienced it for the first time. And how was it? I was really impressed. I've been telling people this. It was lighthearted, mm-hmm. but it was taken very seriously. Mm-hmm. It's very intentional. Um, it wasn't just kind of goofing around. It was very serious, but really fun. No, the music's great. And yeah. the, the play is good. Um, the, the actors aren't mic'd, which is always a little difficult, especially if they're trying, trying, yeah. you know, British accent in a gym. With their medieval voices. That's exactly what I thought, too. I thought, huh, high school kids just don't really know how to project. Right. No, but they do a nice job. It's always entertaining. You were in Madrigal back in the day? I was in, so Madrigal didn't, when I was at Helan in the 90s, uh, I did Madrigal for a couple. Way back when. That's when I I was born, Father Shane. I did uh, Madrigal for a couple of years, then I dropped out. I just needed a break. We didn't, Madrigal was not part of the curriculum chorus ah. we, in in chorus class we did a full christmas at the cathedral concert with orchestra in union with briarcliff university oh um it, it was a huge christmas concert 
uh, and then madrigal was something extracurricular that we would you know do in the evenings. Oh wow! So it wasn't part of the normal chorus day. So December used to be pretty intense under John Flannery's direction, um, which was great. It was a wonderful musical experience. Um, but I didn't. I pulled back from madrigal because I just needed a break from all the other high school activities I was doing. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was fun. It's good. Deacon Peter Fom gave me a. You know. You know, the man is getting really good with English, uh-huh. but he can make fun of you in English. Oh, good. So I, he said, Father, what are you doing this evening? I said, oh, I'm going to Madrigal. And he said, oh, Father Shane would always take me to that. And uh-huh. then he looked at me and said, I was waiting on your invite. <laughs> and he just looked at me. Oh, he burned it was you. Good. It was good. And I was like, he, oh, Peter, I didn't know you'd be home. And he said, oh, no, oh, Father, I'm just kidding. He burned you. Really funny. It was good. Got burned by the deacon. Absolutely. Oh, there it is. Absolutely. Father Shane, it's good to have you back in Sioux City. You're it is good to be very back warm, in Sioux City. Very uh, warm vocations office in the midst of very cold Iowa winter. Balmy Iowa winter. Father Crotty. What do you have for us today? I was once talking to a woman, and uh, she was telling me about how her children and grandchildren have all abandoned the faith, which is a common theme among so many, the great apostasy that we're living in right now. And... Um, she said something very insightful. She said, my grandchildren don't know their vulnerabilities. Huh. And I thought, oh, that's an incredibly profound statement. Now, this is an elderly woman who, you know, as she gets more and more frail and feeble, she understands her vulnerabilities. She's been to plenty of funerals of family mm. members, relatives, friends. She understands how sickness and tragedy can pop up in life, you know, with all the wisdom that she's acquired. So she understands how precious life is. and There's no guarantees in this lifetime. But she's also seeing within her children, uh, and particularly her grandchildren, that there is this false sense of invincibility. You know, like, oh, I can just go to the hospital and they'll fix all my illnesses. And um, I always have, you know, a roof over my head and I always got all the food I want and I can go buy my fancy foods and I can travel as I wish. And I just kind of got the world on a string. And she sees this mentality in her grandchildren. And she just realizes... um, she, she does a job, she does a good job trying to do soft evangelization, just trying to plant seeds, subtly encourage them to go back to Mass with her, uh, you know, little stocking stuffers here and there to plant seeds of, of faith and, um, you know, faith formation through catechesis or whatever that might be. But she also realizes this is a completely uphill battle that she's probably not going to win in her lifetime as long as they kind of have this fake, fake notion and false ideal of their own invincibility. Mm. You know why do you need a why do you need and are, and are interested in salvation if you don't think you need a savior, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you have no vulnerabilities and you think you can completely provide for yourself, well then of course you're, there's no need to have redemption or a Messiah to come save you and bring you to something better to something higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and if one kind of settles to say, well this is this is all we get, you know, in reality this lifetime is it. So max it out on the next adrenaline rush that you can muster for yourself and just be convinced that you're going to be invincible with any danger that might come your way. Well, of course, who needs God in that scenario? Who needs a Messiah? Mm-hmm. And so I think she's been wrestling with these ideals for many years, but you know, there are themes that I have seen among so many people, like, why do I need God? Why do I? I mean, you could you could understand that someone might want to say, "Well, I could appreciate that there's a creator who created this beautiful universe, and I look at the rainbows and the stars in the sky, and there might be an intelligent design behind that." And you might get someone who says, "Well, I feel really drawn towards service, and humanitarian aid is important, and that draws me out of myself, and that's all good." 
Um, but if you haven't really recognized that I have vulnerabilities in which there's these things called sickness, death, and the, the, after, the aftermath of people's sins in this world, and I want to be redeemed, I want to be pulled out of this mess, uh, I want to be driven and welcomed into a, a life that's bigger than what a fallen world offers me. If you don't see your vulnerabilities within that, well, then, of course, there's no need to abandon yourself to God and to say, into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. Um, he has no role for you if you're not willing to enter into your own vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that, Father? Yeah, a number, as usual. That's really helpful. That's really insightful. A lot of young people, myself, my peers included, there's this idea that we will just keep progressing like mm-hmm. more and more. And especially when we look at how young people and our peers look at the faith, it just looks out, outdated, right? Outcast. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense because we've progressed, our technology has progressed so much even in the past hundred years. We're obviously better off than the people a hundred years ago let alone people a thousand years ago. And we're just going to keep getting better and better and better and better and better. Um, meanwhile, like it's interesting that aren't in touch with their vulnerabilities because I think vulnerabilities are actually more on display now than ever. Mm-hmm. So many people talk about anxiety, right? Like mental health issues are really prevalent. People are aware of that. Um, mental health issues, all this discussion of gender dysphoria, like just this big question of, who are we as human beings? Who am I? But then in the midst of all these big questions, we're not in touch with our vulnerabilities because we just cover them up with distractions. I got called out by a student uh, at Healing in an interesting way. Did I tell you about this? I don't remember. Preaching too much on TikTok. I didn't hear that, no. They just came to my office. We really didn't have much of a relationship before this. Blew to my office and just said, Father, I need to give you some Christian advice. You talk about TikTok too much in your homilies. Mm. Huh. TikTok, I think, often ends up being like part of the litany of distractions that I'll often mention mm-hmm. that we try to distract ourselves from these vulnerabilities, which we do. We do it really well. You know, masters of distraction, as Father Hazing often calls kind of this generation. Mm-hmm. We really know how to distract ourselves from feeling deeply the kind of the consequences of our vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. which really makes sense to just to affirm what you said. It really makes sense that young people don't see a need for God, right? Kind of like when we look before, you know, religion is just the opiate of the peoples. Um, it just kind of makes us feel good. Uh, I think we look now and we just say, oh, why would I need religion? Why would I need this kind of like lame, uh, I don't know, social club? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have I have friends. I have kind of online connections. Why would I need that? Um, and it's not a recognition that, oh, the need isn't just for people to hang out with on a Sunday morning. Well, that's an important piece, the need of community and like an isolated experience of the world. But no, I actually need somebody to save me from myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember even in seminary, different moments where priests would talk about that, th- this same thing of, of needing a savior. Um, I remember the priest on Catholic stuff you should know talking about that. And even feeling as a young seminarian, like, huh, like, yeah, I'm, I go to confession once in a while. I'm like, try not to be really sinful, but, Stepping into the priesthood, stepping into this vocation that God has given me, just like marriage, it just immediately shows you how incapable of fulfilling this high calling that I really am, Mm -hmm. that I can't do it myself, and that I'm really weak, Um, and that the temptations I struggled with during seminary aren't even close to just the different temptations because the 
responsibility is so much higher now than it was. You know, mm-hmm. I got pretty comfortable being a seminarian for like nine years. Um, priesthood's difficult. Like mm-hmm. married life is difficult. Uh, the the humbling experience of of recognizing that I can't love the people that I'm called to love as well as I'm supposed to. Yeah, that shows that there's a real vulnerability. But I have to like be aware of that and bring that to the Lord to actually allow that to be healed. Otherwise, I just kind of live out of my woundedness mm-hmm. that I think you're you're saying this grandmother's kind of tapping into with maybe the current generation or our culture right now. There might be two you know layers going on here. This particular grandmother might see her children acting with great invincibility, chasing the next adrenaline rush, the next high, thinking that nothing will touch me in life. But as you point out, there's also a whole segment of our population that is deeply aware of their own vulnerabilities as anxiety and depression levels and uh, suicide thoughts yeah. you know, keep increasing, increasing, increasing. And certainly the pandemic that we've lived through the past few years, you know, if one is you know, with eyes wide open, could see, yeah, there is a, a greater sense of vulnerability in our culture. Uh, so part of that just might be a greater sense of self-awareness. Some might just be in a greater state of vulnerability with their mental, emotional, or spiritual health. But regardless of that, you would hope to say um, that one would want to come to faith because what, of what God has revealed. <laughs> you know, that's really the starting point of the act of faith to say God has revealed this, and because of that, we owe allegiance to the source of truth itself. Now, I realize not everyone wants to start there. You know, yeah. Some are looking for a much more personalized reason to believe, not just because you told me that God revealed this about himself, about his plan for salvation, um, and that he is, you know, I am itself. He is being itself and, and also the Messiah who rose from the dead. Some people don't want to start with that idea of, of what God has revealed about himself. But you would also hope that within a sense of, of being honest with oneself and, and being uh, vulnerable, especially for those who are experiencing depression or anxiety or whatever, that there would be a capability to say, even God wants to meet me in those tender areas of vulnerability. And, and I think there's a, there's a big gap there. I think there's so many people who don't make the crossing over of the bridge from my woundedness, my vulnerabilities, to how God could live in that reality. Yes. And we're recording this, you know, on the brink of the Christmas season. And so for any of our listeners who are really struggling with faith, or for any of our listeners who are trying to help others increase their faith, maybe a helpful starting point during this Christmas season is to say, God became a baby. If that is a central tenet to Christian faith, getting you know being born as a as a completely vulnerable child that is not self sufficient, and doing so living in a poor stable among poor parents, you don't get much more vulnerable than that. Yeah, and God, in His wisdom, in His magnificence, in His power, wanted to bring His divinity into those very low levels of the human experience to actually enter into vulnerability itself within the human condition and unite his divinity to that reality and to be one among us to save the human race from within. That might just be a helpful starting point for anyone who's really struggling with their own own vulnerabilities to say, how is God the Almighty sitting up on his great throne of heaven? How does he relate to me and my anxiety? Or even if someone is starting to realize this false notion of invincibility isn't going to really serve me well in life as I get older and older. Maybe that the baby in the manger is the starting point to say, that's the link pin right there. That's where God enters vulnerability, and that's where he shows 
very, very strongly, I want to encounter humanity in their vulnerabilities and in their weaknesses. Please relate your vulnerabilities to me because I'm here to meet you there. Yeah. You bring up a really important topic of this image of God that we carry, right? How is God actually revealed to us and what is the image that we carry around of God? I just find so often in pastoral ministry that this image, maybe it comes from the Old Testament, maybe it just comes from kind of like living life or kind of a, I don't know, like a, maybe like a secular syncretism a little bit of like, well, this is like what we kind of culturally know as Christianity, but not really living it. You know, we get this idea of like kind of big, bad, angry God who's up on some throne in the clouds who just kind of dictates things, but we're kind of like, you know, way down below is like the pawns in his kind of game, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens so often in people's lives when they experience the death of a loved one? I'm angry at that big God who could have done something to fix that, right? Or when cancer comes into a family, um, when there's death, when there's divorce, and there's these like really difficult moments if our image of God is just this like big kind of scary, powerful guy, well then why aren't you using all that power that you have to fix all these crappy situations? Right. That's really important to consider what's our image of God. And then also like what's our image of our own woundedness and brokenness. Right. Because we've talked before, like confession can be difficult. The big question on everybody's mind and heart is always, why do I have to confess this to a priest? Why can't I just confess it to God? But I think even deeper than that is, is there a recognition through an examination of conscience that like I am broken and I've actually chosen to do things. We can be especially cognizant today of like, I have these mental health issues. I have these problems with me and it's almost a victim mentality, but very kind of like reticent to say, but I've actually acted out of that woundedness and I've done something poorly. Um, recognizing like what's the actual image of God? How has he revealed himself as a baby in a manger? Right as the risen one with wounds still in his hands, right? God doesn't reveal himself like really ever as this big, angry, mean God, right? Even if you go and look back to the Old Testament and understand like how God and his pedagogy was teaching his people, he, he wasn't ever this like big, mean, angry guy. You know, different things were emphasized, different attributes of, of God were emphasized, but how has God revealed himself in the fullest revelation of Jesus Christ? First as a baby in a manger, Right? Then is this man on the cross, then is this risen Lord, right, who ascends to heaven and invites us to accompany him through his vulnerability, right, from the uh, from the crib to the grave, to the mm-hmm. grave, to the sky. <laughs> Lord, I Lord, lift, I your, lift name your name on, on high. high. Very good. Um, I think it's just helpful to consider how has God revealed himself in Scripture and how does this feast that we're celebrating at Christmas, like you just mentioned, help us step into that vulnerability of God but then as God, the God man grows, like, and I think that image is just resonating with me right now of how he reveals himself with the wounds, right? St. Mm-hmm. Thomas gets to look at them mm-hmm. and, and inspect them, right? right? He wants to show us that he meets us in our own vulnerability and that it's a safe place. We can actually bring that to him. Right. Good thoughts. So for any of our listeners out there who might be struggling with some ways to kind of encourage discussions about the faith, especially for those who have fallen away, maybe just a helpful little starting point would be um, hey, we're celebrating Christmas. There's a baby in a manger. We see these crash scenes all over town, all over our homes. What is that? What does that little vulnerable baby mean to you? Yeah. And do you believe that that's actually God, and He actually wants to be that vulnerable with the human race? That might be a, just a creative starting point to spark some discussions of faith. 
And for any of our listeners who are, are keenly aware of their own vulnerabilities, especially at a time in which anxiety and social pressures just really seem to be amped up, please know that God, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, comes to meet you in those vulnerabilities. So just a few things to think about throughout the Christmas season. Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. Father Crotty, it's good to be back with you here in Sioux City. God bless. Adios. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.